Every year, artists from all fields of the arts and from all parts of the world travel to Saari residents in southwest Finland to focus on their artistic work and exchange ideas and experiences. The Saari residence aims to be a test platform for the future that is sustainable ecologically, socially and mentally. This podcast stems from themes that are essential in the residence's daily ecological activities. Together with invited experts, we talk about returning to our roots to restore nature and ourselves. My name is Mia Leine, and this is Reviving the Wild. Close your eyes and imagine a city environment. Not the center, more like a suburb, a residential area. There are blocks of flats, a small shopping center, people walking by, the sound of cars and bicycles. It's a summer day and the sun is scorching hot. But there are also trees. It's mid-June and they are vibrantly green. They give shade and dampen the noise of the traffic. What if you think of the place without the trees, with just concrete? Think of how loud all these sounds would be, how hot the sun would be, how much dust there would be. Because trees also filter small dust particles in the air. They are definitely there to soften the edges of cities and streets. The person who takes care of trees, especially in these human-built environments, is called an arborist. The word arbor means tree in Latin. A big part of the work of an arborist is climbing trees. One could divide this work into two categories. First, they do removals. There might be tight spots with buildings nearby, so you can't fell the tree in one go or use machinery. So basically, the only way to do the felling safely is to climb the tree and take it down piece by piece. And then there's the other side, which arborist Riku Parkatti prefers. That is the pruning and taking care of trees. While climbing trees, Riku thinks he's privileged to be there. He describes it as a place between heaven and earth. I get to experience something that I don't think everybody gets to experience. It's a kind of a trust relation with the tree. You have to you have to be humble enough to understand that it's the tree that carries you. And at the same time, you need to trust it because once you climb up in the canopy, and let's say that there's a bit of a wind and the, the tree starts to sway back and forth and you might get scared a bit then you just have to give up and understand that let the tree carry you you can't really do anything about it anymore that's very beautiful um so your work is to take care of trees that are not able to take care of themselves maybe well no i wouldn't i wouldn't go there um Trees don't need us. We need trees. So uh, in a normal cycle of, of, of trees' life, they sometimes drop a branch, 
they drop parts of them away and they start to decay. And for the tree itself, that's not a problem. It's normally more of a problem for, for human. So uh, arborist is kind of working in between man, the trees and the infrastructure and trying to figure out some kind of a compromise so that we could all live together in a, as safe as possible situation. So we kind of like try to minimize the risks that maybe an older tree might, might cause. Or sometimes if we're doing younger trees, we uh, prune them so that they would grow in a way that they'll fit better to the surroundings. So let's say that there's a street close to a tree. So the tree can have branches that are too low. They would hit cars or, or, or be in the way of a, a bicycle rider. So we start to do this pruning in a way that we try to make uh, take away the smaller branches when they are too low and, and try to kind of like guide the tree to grow in a way where it doesn't come in the way of man or or the buildings or the infrastructure around. So yes, sometimes we need to cut them, but we try to cut as little as possible and give them a better chance to yeah, stay in the same space with us. But it is kind of that we are the humans who make the decisions and then the trees n need to fit into our lives and our infrastructure and our cities. Pretty much so, yeah. So I was talking about the cycle of the tree, life cycle of a tree. Um, it gets problematic when the trees get older. And that's quite often when, when we have to interfere or we feel the need that the, maybe the tree needs to go. It might be out of fear. So somebody is afraid of, of, of an old tree that it might fall or, or cause some kind of damage. So then we kind of like try to, um, we try to make the tree safer so that we wouldn't have the need to have any more drastic measures, mm. so to say. But yeah, the tree doesn't need us. So sometimes there's a, this thought that, uh, or I might be asked a question, uh, how do you cut the tree so that it's best for the tree? My answer is don't cut it. Mm. it, it it'll handle it all. It, it, it'll just drop branches that it doesn't need or if a storm breaks something, it, the tree will fix it itself as, as well as it can. So whenever we are cutting a tree, we are doing because we have the need. Either it's, it's uh, visual, we just want the tree to look somehow. I mean, we might have this thought that certain trees ought to look like, have a shape, some kind of a shape. But to be honest, the tree grows as it wants to if we don't mingle with them. So when you say that a tree can be a threat or a problem, it's only a problem to us, not to other trees or other species or to the tree itself. Well, actually, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. And, and even I, I take it even further. Um, if we have the tendency to um, avoid decay in trees, we are actually compromising the, uh, the uh, biodiversity. Can you explain that a little bit more? In, in trees' life cycle, uh, a young tree gathers uh, 
energy and mass, biomass to itself. And when it starts to decay, it starts to give some of it away. So a lot of fungi, decaying fungi, they feed from the, from the tree's biomass. And then there's insects that feed out of the fungi. And then there's birds that use the insects as their nutrition. So if we let the cycle go full, run full, that means that the tree still gives to the environment even when it's dead. It starts to decay and it becomes food for other, other species. So if we are always taking the trees down before they are old and decaying, we are actually, yeah, we are, we are going more towards this kind of a monoculture than a, than a full biodiversity. And that is actually one of the things that in Sarem Mansion is, is one of the ideas that we try to let the cycle go full as long as it's possible in a safe way. And let's talk a little bit more about Sari Mana. Um, how are trees treated there and how is your work as an arborist there maybe different to other places? We try to give the trees a chance to yeah, have, have the natural cycle. So as an example, there were some spruces, old spruces, and uh, some of them were decayed and there was a danger that they would fall and there was uh, buildings and structures close to them. Also, the road was close to the trees. So a decision was made that we need to reduce the risk. So a uh, few of those spruces were taken down but instead of felling them directly and taking all the tissue, all the, all the matter from the trees away, uh, it was decided that we left seven to eight meters long poles standing on the roots and they can stay there. They are then safe. They are so small that they won't be falling anytime soon. And we let them decay over there. And that creates a habit for, for birds, insects, fungi, etc. So the idea is that uh, over there we try to uh, have a safe environment as possible with the biodiversity as big as possible, but also respecting the fact that um, it's not a forest. It's uh, more or less um, old agriculture area. So there's been agriculture for hundreds of years. And that also means that there's different kind of species of birds and insects and, and plants. So it's, the idea is that it's going to be kept as such. Sort of a 19th hundred look to it. So there'd be fields, there'd be like animal pastures, uh, there'd be uh, some short grass and the old trees and they can stay there as long as we can, once again, figure out the safe compromise. Are there any uh, special trees that you think of when you think of that area? Or are there some specific trees that you, I don't know, have, have some certain relationship to? I have to think about old oaks. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the tree oaks that are in the, kind of in the front yard of, of of Sarah Mansion, they, they are my favorite ones. 
the biggest one, of course, is, is the favorite one. Uh, they are old trees. They've been there. I don't know the uh, exact time. Nobody probably knows. But my my best guess is that they are over 200 years old. And uh, they will be there after me. So kind of like gives you the different kind of perspective on time. They've been there before me. They'll be there after me. I just get to visit them. I try to be humble and respect the trees, try not to damage them. If I do have to do some kind of reductions or so, I'll try to do with the best knowledge that I have so that I wouldn't be doing stupid things as a little man to big trees that are bigger than me. At the Sari residence, Riku can easily spend six hours pruning an old oak. He climbs up there, and six hours later, he comes back down. And speaking of time, maybe we can learn something from the time perspective that trees give us. The near future for us humans is just the blink of an eye for trees. Short-term planning with trees might be 10 years ahead. My short-term plan might be what I'm going to eat tonight. So we do run on a different timescale. When you're working with trees as an arborist, you do always have to plan ahead. And also keep in mind that you might not be executing your plans because the tree will most likely outlive you. Riku is trying not to interfere too much in the natural cycle of a tree. He talks a lot about living side by side with them. I think um, most of us somehow feel the vibes from the trees. We may not understand it. It doesn't kind of like come through as a thought, but yeah, somehow trees calm us down. Forest calms us down. Um, and yes, there's also people who hate trees. They might think that all the all the leaves and all the little branches just fall off. They are kind of like, you know, littering the yards. But I think even a bigger issue is fear. So sometimes we feel that big trees are a threat. So if they fall on somebody, some, someone's car, someone's house, or on somebody, it's thought as a, yeah, a threat that we are, we are afraid of. And most of the times the fear is without no, no reason. It's, it's just more of, of, of a, yeah, thought of someone's mind, but but then again, we have to respect the fact that the fear for the person who feels it is real. So sometimes it might be my job as an arborist to have conversations about uh, why a tree is a threat, why something needs to be done. So there's a risk factor in it, or sometimes that the risk is practically non-existing, so the fear is not there's no need for the fear. So that should not be the cause or, or, or the reason why we take the tree down, as an example. So, yeah, once again, trying to figure out some kind of a compromise. Infrastructure, human, trees, and also be able to conversate. I might actually say that, okay, this is a lot, but, <laughs> but this is the best way I can take out, come out with it. I think sometimes I, try to be the voice of the trees. I know that's a lot. 
I mean, don't 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 think that I'm 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 really 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 thinking that I'm some kind of a treatise, but yeah, but but you know, in a sense of trying to explain what trees are to people who are not dealing with trees. So in that sense, sometimes I think I'm interpreter is maybe a better one than than the voice itself. I think that's brilliant, being the voice of the trees. What can we do as people who are not arborists to try to imagine being a tree or try to hear that voice a little bit louder? Um, I would say or, or give us as an advice, just give yourself a, some calm time, go under a tree or go into a forest and, and just calm yourself down and, and let your senses be open and you will start to see and hear and feel all the things that are happening around the trees, all, all the birds, all the insects, the wind blowing. We got some nice wind here. I wish there would be more leaves on the trees so we could actually hear the wind blowing in the leaves and, and kind of like just feel them. That would be my best advice. Or if you're afraid of a tree, uh, Sometimes when it's really stormy, like really, really heavy winds, go and see how much the trees can actually handle. Once you see the trees really going from one side to another, bending a lot and still not breaking, and then you kind of like understand that they've been here. Let's say a tree has been there for 100 years. So how many storms has it seen? How much wind? how much stress out of all those winds. So you really think it's going to fall tomorrow? How many trees does it take to make a forest? Forests cover more than 75% of the land area in Finland. Measured by the proportional share of forest land, Finland is the most forested country in Europe. But only 3% of Finnish forests are in a natural state. One of these forests is located in Kemiensaari, in the southwest of Finland. The Kulla area is an old-growth forest which has not been cut for 150 years. In 2017, Kone Foundation established the Kulla Nature Reserve and is now restoring the area to protect the biodiversity of the forest and dead wood plays a crucial role in that. Forest management in Finland has removed dead wood from the Finnish forests for a long time, and it's a catastrophe for biodiversity. In Kulla too, dead wood has been collected and taken away from the forest in the name of forestry. I visited the Kulla Nature Reserve with Dr. Panu Kuntu, who is an archipelago ecologist and a forest expert. First, we walk through old commercial forest land. There's lots of pine trees, and overall it looks and feels very dry. But suddenly we come to the edge of the old forest, and we can see the variety of different tree species. Spruce, pine, aspen and birch, and many generations of them. Here there's much more shade and the ground is wet. It feels like a swamp. I noticed that I definitely picked the wrong shoes for this walk, but I keep that to myself. Banu tells me that this is where the real forest starts. 
All these factors are important for biodiversity. And there's also a lot of dead wood. We try to, to speed up the, the process of uh, getting the natural state here all over and get more habitats to the species which are depending on old growth forest or dead wood or certain tree species. So, uh, so far we have uh, added, increased uh, amount of dead wood here. We have transported here uh, hundreds of uh, trunks, dead trees, uh, which are habitats for insects, uh, beetles, mosses, lichens, uh, and, uh, and fungi. Um, and then we have uh, blocked uh, old ditches. Here is uh, over uh, five kilometers old ditches, and, and they have dried uh, this uh, forest. Here are also mires uh, in this area, so these are not anymore in natural state. So when we block these old ditches uh, by building dams on a manual way or with the excavator or putting the land masses to the ditches, so uh, the hydrology can be uh, as it should be in the natural mire. Okay, so uh, you mentioned dead wood. You brought dead wood here from other places. Is that something that is common in uh, when you're preserving forests? Uh, no, it's it's very rare uh, action. I have um, heard that only in few cases in Finland uh, people have, have used this kind of method. Um, the starting point here is that um, here is only average, only um, five cubic meters per hectare dead wood. And in the natural forest, there are over 100 cubic meters per hectare. So, uh, therefore, all species which are depending on dead wood are uh, decreasing, and many of those are red listed. So they are in danger to go extinct uh, from these areas. So increasing the amount of dead wood is a very uh, important action. Uh, in general, in Finland, um, around 5,000 species are depending on dead wood. So it is the, one of the main characteristics in, in Finnish forests. Yes. So the second thing you mentioned was the dams and the ditching that has been done in many forests. And we're actually standing next to one of the dams that have been hand-built by you and, and your team. And we can see these tiny kind of rivers, standing rivers of water um, uh, next to the dam. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what's happening right here? Yeah, we want to stop the moving of water here in, in Myers. So here are spruce Myers and pine Myers. So in the other words, those are peat lands. And when, when these ditches have been built, um, a long time ago, so these mires uh, have dried and, and all the peat layer uh, disappears. And peat contains a lot of carbon. And it is important to get back the peat here and the sphagnum mosses uh, here back because it contains so much carbon. So that's the idea in addition to getting the biodiversity back, so this carbon 
uh, aspect is also very important. Great. Um, that was actually something that I was interested in as well, to ask how does climate change affect these kind of forests in Finland and uh, making this into a nature reserve, what kind of um, yeah, consequences does that have? Yeah, old growth forests are very important carbon storage and they continue the carbon sequestration uh, also when the forest is old. And uh, both these aspects, the, the big trees and old growth forests and these uh, peatlands, uh, all together they contain uh, so much um, carbon that this nature conservation area is a, is a big uh, climate action also. And uh, would you say that there's no negative effects of climate change or is where if you would make more into more forests into nature reservoirs that it, that is, is is a climate action but are there any risks involved or any kind of negative effects? Yeah we have to be uh, uh, carbon neutral uh, we have to get that situation in Finland in in 10 years so it's very important to preserve all carbon storage now so when we protect a forest or when we restore a peatland, so it affects quite fast. So it's it's a carbon storage already now, and it is also that in the future when the carbon sequestration continues. Can you just for our listeners explain what carbon sequestration is? Um, it means that uh, uh, it's a carbon sink, that the carbon um, goes into the trees, or it goes into the soil, or it... Uh, goes into the peatland and it is there until some mm, big process uh, or human intervention release it. For example, cutting of trees, yeah. burning of trees. Yes. If we're thinking of uh, there's this 20 hectares of very old growth forest and then you mentioned a hundred, over 100 hectares of forest that has been used for economical use, so has been cut and drained and all of these things you mentioned. And now it's all become part of one nature reservoir. How is it from the perspective of the forest now, these two different areas, they will grow together into one is there something that you could tell us about like the journey of a forest becoming natural again um, and especially with this distinction of how does it affect a natural already untouched forest and an economical forest and is there something can they help each other <laughs> yeah this is like a mosaic now so a different kind of uh, uh, forest um, patches here, uh, different kind of forest types and different uh, stage of uh, age here. So uh, in the future, of course, they will be better network together and the species which are living at the moment only in this old growth forest area, in the core area, they can spread and use also other parts of this conservation area. Uh, and when the dead wood, amount of dead wood will increase also in the other parts, 
So, for example, these dead wood depending species can find a new habitat, a growing site, growing place for elsewhere. And also, at the moment, the economically um, used part of this area, there is a, it's it's quite a uh, it's simple. There is only some tree species, and they are in the same generation. So there is you know, this very important variation in the forest. But when the storm comes or strong wind will will uh, blow trees down, so they will be also new trees. So little by little, the variation will recover. If we think about the human aspect of this, um, it needed... I mean, yeah, humans destroyed it and then humans uh, made it into nature reservoir and you've made all these actions to help make it natural again. Is the plan that there will always be some human intervention or monitoring maybe? Uh, what is the role of people here? Yeah, old growth forests, uh, they don't need human. <laughs> it's better that human keep a distance to these valuable places. But when we have this starting point in Finland that that uh, only 3% of Finnish forests are natural forests, and all others have been suffered uh, uh, by forest management. So we have to restore as much as, as possible because there is uh, so much uh, endangered species in forests uh, in Finland at the moment. But when we start this process, so after that we it's enough to follow up and do the monitoring. Um, I think a lot of people feel this calm and going to a forest. And um, what would you say are, is the well-being aspect of forests and do you know more about that for, for human beings? Yes, forests are very important for health. Many people feel better when they are in forest and especially according to scientific research, we know that uh, uh, old-growth forests and untouched forests are the best places to get these health effects and people recover best in such a environments. So uh, it, it would be extremely important that everybody has access to the real forests. So old growth forests should situated near everybody in Finland. So we could get these well-being uh, effects for everybody. After talking to Riku and Pano, I started to think about my own personal relationship with trees. Often, when I'm in a public park, I would love to go and touch a tree, but I feel too embarrassed. Somehow, tree huggers have a bad reputation. But recently, I have stopped more often next to a tree, in a city environment, for example, and touched it or leaned on it for a bit. And I've tried to listen to them. In the next episode of Reviving the Wild, we talk about food, wild herbs, snacking your surroundings, 
and the future of food production. My name is Mia Leine. Thank you for listening. <laughs>